Well, I want to welcome you to the City Church. Welcome those of you watching online at one of our Hope City campuses as well. We are pumped you guys are joining us right now as well. And we are starting a series called Twisted today. And in this series, we're talking about the most commonly misinterpreted and misquoted verses that we have twisted. And we're looking at what they really mean. We're untwisting some of the most commonly misinterpreted and misquoted verses in the scripture. And we're starting today with this one. Don't judge me. Okay. You can't judge me. Stop judging me. Only God can judge me. Right. I mean, how many of us have heard somebody said that? How many of us have said that before? You stop judging me. You can't judge me or only God can judge me. Right. I mean, we think Jesus said that. So it must be true. And no one likes to be judged, right? I mean, nobody likes it. Yet we all do it, don't we? Every last one of us judges people. I can prove it to you. I bet this morning when you got here and you saw another family get out of their car, you probably thought to yourself, maybe you thought to yourself, maybe you even vocalized it and said it out loud. Man, I don't, I don't think they can afford that car. Look at them driving, pulling up to church in that car. I bet they can't afford that car. They get out of their car. Maybe they're dressed up all nice and prim and popper. And you're thinking, man, look at that. Look at church people, man. Those, I bet that, I bet they're real religious. I bet there's some church people. I bet they've been going to church their whole life. Um, or you saw the family get out of the car and they're all arguing, you know, and complaining and, and, and the parents are trying to wrangle their kids. And you're, look at that family. They're crazy. Look at their kids. That family's crazy. Bunch of lost people. I bet don't know Jesus. Good thing they're here today. They need Jesus. They, those people, I'm glad they're here today. They need Jesus. Then you got in here and you think you're coming maybe to a traditional church. And some of you, maybe you're like, you haven't been in church. You're like, man, look at this place. This looks like a, like an old church. Like it's got stained glass. Like, like what's up with this place? Right? I thought I was coming to like some new hip church. You know, there's an old church with, with old stained glass. And then you get in here and like, wait a second, this music's different. The music's loud. Well, that music's too loud. Or, or I don't like, or they got some lights up there. I don't like those lights. Or that music's too loud. It's, too, it's a little too much like a concert. That worship guy up there, he's got a hat on. How could, how, how could he do that? How could he wear a hat? Maybe you're looking at some of the other people in the room. They see you got, you know, they got a hat on. They're like, how could they wear a hat in here? You know? So you're looking at me right now. How old is that guy? 20? I know, I know. I look that, I, I look that young. I know. You made that judgment. When you saw me, you thought I, I must be 20 years old, right? Newly married. I know. I get it. I get it all the time. You're looking at thinking, well, pastor's wearing a football jersey. Man, that's, that's kind of weird. It's the Chiefs. I'm a Niners fan, you know, or I'm a, I'm a Cowboy. I can wear a Chiefs jersey. I mean, we all make these kinds of judgments, right? I mean, Mark and Brandon judge me on a daily basis. I'm used to it, okay? They judge me because of the way I look, my haircut, the clothes I wear. I think it's just because they know I'm jacked and they're jealous. That's my judgment, right? I mean, but we all do it. And most of us would say, probably, I bet most of us say, it's always wrong to judge, right? I mean, isn't it always wrong? It's got to always be wrong to judge. That, there's no way it could ever be right to judge someone, right? Right? Isn't that wrong? Isn't it wrong all the time? Isn't that right? Isn't that what Jesus said? Don't, don't judge people? Well, let me ask you about this. What, what about when someone breaks the law? Should there be a judgment there? 
Well, I mean, in our country, our whole criminal system is filled with judges. I mean, we actually have people whose living it is, whose job it is to judge people who break the law. Dads, let me ask you this. What about when someone hurts one of your kids? What if it's your daughter? You're going to be like, where's the judge? I need a judge. This first grader just hurt my daughter's feelings. I need a judge. Someone judge them right now. Listen, I get it. I understand. When someone hurts one of your kids, you want to judge real fast and you want, you're going to judge that person that hurts your kids and you want to judge to take down like the law and the, 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 the judgment of God all over that little first grade boy who hurts your daughter's feelings. I mean, I know I get it. So it depends on the circumstances, whether or not we think someone should be judged or not. Right. I mean, what if someone's hurting themselves? They're living a life of self-destruction that's not only hurting themselves, but everyone around them. Should there be a judgment then? Well, let's see what the Bible actually says here. Let's look at this verse and you might be surprised and maybe you will realize that you've had this verse twisted. And the point of the series is to untwist some of these verses that we commonly and easily misinterpret and misquote. So if you got your Bible, go to Matthew chapter seven. If you don't have a Bible, or even if you do, I would encourage you to open our app now, the City Church Lubbock. You can download it in your app store. The verses are there, the points are there. You can follow along with us and fill in the blank. And then at the end, it gives you an option to email it to yourself so that you can kind of keep your notes and take them with you, all right? So let's go, Matthew chapter seven, verse one. Jesus does say this, uh, but let's go to the verse and see what it actually says, right? Okay, Jesus says this in Matthew seven, verse one. Do not judge or you too will be judged. There it is. I told you, get on Jesus, sick on Jesus, get those judgmental people judging. I mean, Jesus said it. There it is. Well, do we ever interpret scripture with just one verse? Do we ever build a theological system on one verse? No, we don't. That is very, very dangerous to do. Don't ever build a theological system or a theological position based on one verse. That's very dangerous. You can take one verse and take it out of context and make it say or mean almost anything you want it to say or mean. If you take one phrase or if you take one verse and you pluck it out of the scripture and you start interpreting it without reading everything else, around it. So we don't ever take one verse and just interpret that one verse and make opinions and statements and theological positions on one verse. No, no. We, we interpret the scripture in a certain way. There's a way to interpret the scripture. And we talked about this. If you were here last summer in the series we did called Creed, where we talked about the Bible being God's word. We talked about the history of the scripture, uh, the authority of the scripture. And then in week three, we talked about the sufficiency of scripture. And we talked about how to interpret the scripture. And so we're going to walk through some of those things just as a reminder. And in case you weren't here, you could always go read or walk, listen to that series. Watch that series on our app. It's, very, it's an interesting series. But, but here's the steps to interpreting the scripture. Number one, we interpret scripture with prayer. We interpret scripture with prayer. We have to pray and say, God, through your Holy Spirit, would you enlighten my mind so that I can understand? Would you illumine and enlighten my mind so that I can understand what you're saying here in your word? God, I need you by the power of the Holy Spirit to allow my heart, to open my heart so that I can hear and 
and then now understand and believe and have faith in your word. And now God, I need your Holy Spirit to change me from the inside out with this word so that I can live this and so that I can apply this to my life and so that my life is different as a result of reading your word. But Paul makes it clear that the things in the scripture are spiritually discerned. And so we need the spirit to help us discern them. In other words, understand them, believe them and live them out. You cannot interpret scripture apart from the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. Paul says these are spiritual things. They are discerned spiritually. And so you need the Holy Spirit that's in the life of every believer to help you understand and believe and apply God's word. So, so we interpret scripture with prayer. And it's why in the app right now in our daily devos, we, we start out with worship and a time of prayer before you get to the Bible reading for that day. It's to prepare your heart. It's to ask God to speak to you and to move in your heart before you spend time reading God's word. So we interpret scripture with prayer. Secondly, we interpret scripture with context, context, and context. Now you might be like, you got three contexts up there. I know, I know. One is for emphasis. Two though, here's what we're saying. We interpret with immediate context, a broader context, and the whole of scripture context. And we'll show you that here in just a second. But we, but we look at the context in three different ways. We look at the immediate context, the verse. We look at the broader context. What's the paragraph saying? What's the chapter saying? What's that book saying maybe? And then we look at the whole of scripture. We look at the wide context of scripture and we look at all of the scripture. What does all of the scripture say about this topic? So we interpret scripture in context, 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 which leads us to third, we interpret scripture with scripture. We always interpret scripture with other scripture. Like I'm reading something in Matthew seven, verse one is talking about not judging. Uh, so what do I, what is the other scripture? What does all the rest of the scripture say about this topic? And I need that to help me interpret and know what this other verse, this one verse I'm reading is saying. So we interpret scripture with scripture. Here's some, here's, here's what I mean by this. Okay. Number one, we use a lot of scripture to interpret a little scripture. Like we use where the Bible talks about this a lot. And we help, we use a lot to help us interpret where the Bible's speaking very little about a topic. Or you could say it like this. We interpret Matthew 7, 1 about not judging someone with that, that one verse, it's little, and we take all of the other scripture and the rest of scripture, the, all, the many verses that speak to this topic too, and we use that to help us interpret this one verse. So we use a lot to help us interpret a little. Next, we use the easy to help interpret the hard, right? We use verses that are easier to understand and easier to interpret to help us understand verses that are harder to understand, harder to interpret. And then finally, we use the clear to interpret the unclear. We use verses that are very clear about a topic and very clear on a subject and very direct on a subject to help us interpret verses maybe that aren't so clear and aren't so direct. Now, if you've been reading with us in our daily devotionals, a couple of weeks ago, you read through Hebrews chapter six, one of the most difficult to understand passages in the whole Bible. 
There's a paragraph there that is extremely difficult to interpret. And so how, how do we do that? Well, we use the easier verses to help us interpret that. We use the clear verses to help us interpret something that's not so clear. So we always use other scripture to help us interpret the scripture that we're reading. And then finally, we interpret scripture through Jesus. We interpret scripture through Jesus. We believe something of the theological word for it. We believe is the Bible is written and should be read Christocentrically, which means Christ is the center of it all. Jesus said this to the Pharisees. Listen, you're studying all these words of the law and you're studying all the scripture, thinking that just by reading those verses, it's going to bring you life. And he said, what you don't understand is that all of it is written about me. Jesus told the Pharisees, all the law, the prophets, the Psalms, Jesus said, it's all about him. It all pointed to him. Then we get to the New Testament, we get to the gospels and, and it's all about him. And then we have early church writers like Paul and Peter and others that are writing letters to churches that are about Jesus and following Jesus. And then we get to the end and we got revelation. It's about the return of Christ. So the old covenant, the old Testament points to, and so we see pictures of Jesus and stories that, that kind of show us a glimpse of Jesus and that tell us that Jesus is coming. And then we have Jesus coming. And now we have things that point forward to a time when Jesus will return. So all the scripture is about Jesus. Jesus, after he rose from the grave, was walking with two guys on a road and, and they were down. They were sad because Jesus had died on the cross and they were upset and he's talking with them and they don't recognize him yet. And it says that Jesus began to tell them and show them all the law and the scriptures had to say concerning himself. Did you catch that? Jesus told these two men, all that the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, all that the law and the prophets had to say concerning himself. Jesus was saying it was all about me. All, all the scripture was about me. And it says their eyes were opened and they began to realize who they were talking to, the risen Christ. That happened after they realized that all the scripture was about him and after the Holy Spirit Open their minds to understand what Jesus was saying. So we interpret scripture through Jesus. So Matthew chapter seven, verse one, do not judge or you too will be judged. How do we interpret this? Well, first of all, we pray. So would you join me in prayer? God, we pray that right now in this moment, you would help us to understand this verse. You would enlighten and illumine our minds to understand that we might know what this is saying. God, would you move in our hearts, open our hearts, God, to, to understand and then now to believe and obey. God, from our hearts, from a change, from the inside out, God, would you change us through your words today that our lives would look differently as a result. So Father, we, we need you in this moment. We need your spirit to move in our hearts and our minds that we might understand and apply this verse in the right way. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we interpret scripture through prayer. Next, we interpret scripture in context, context, context. So first of all, let's look at the immediate context of this verse. Let's go back. Matthew 7, verse 1. Immediate context is the verse itself. So, so what's it saying? Well, first of all, it says, do not judge or you too will be judged. So now let's look at what this word means. What is the word used here in Greek where we get and interpret and translate to judge. What, what does that word actually mean? 
Well, the Greek word means this. It means a sharp, unjust criticism. It means to discriminate and to look down on. And it's where we get the word. If you looked at the Greek word, you would see it real fast. It's where we get our English word critic. You're like, oh, okay. That makes a little bit more sense. Now I see this word that Jesus uses, judge, maybe doesn't mean what I thought it meant. It means a sharp or unjust criticism. It means to discriminate. What you've heard us say here before is completely evil. It means to look down on someone. It's where we get our word critic. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you, let's see a show of hands. How many of you guys know someone with the spiritual gift of criticism? Raise your hand. All right. Let me see. You know, someone in your life, your family, your friends, don't elbow, not someone in this room. There's no elbows, just hands. Okay. All right. Spoiler alert. There is no spiritual gift of criticism. (laughs) It doesn't exist. If you specialize in being a critic, that's not a good thing. There is no spiritual gift of criticism. This word can also mean an absolute determination of someone's fate. And if you've been reading with us in the daily devotionals, then you read in James chapter four that there is only one judge and that is God himself. That we are to not make absolute final judgments on people's lives about who they are and where they're going to spend eternity. That's not for us to do. God alone, it says in James 4, there is the judge, there is one judge. And so that is his role and not ours. So we've looked in the immediate context. Let's let's go a little bit further now into verse 2. Let's keep reading after this. Jesus says this, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Whoa. So the level or the measurement or the severity of your judgment against other people will be the measure that's used. Jesus is saying this will be the measure that's used against you. You you can almost say it a different way with the amount of grace and mercy that you extend other people. Jesus would actually say this in Matthew five will be the amount of mercy that's extended to you. What Jesus is saying is, as a follower of Jesus, you've been shown mercy. And those who've been shown mercy, those who've experienced, those who've been overwhelmed by mercy can't help but be merciful. If you're not merciful, you've got a big problem. You don't do better and try harder with mercy. No, 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 you've got to encounter mercy. It means you you haven't experienced the mercy, the grace of God. That's what Jesus is saying. Those who've been shown mercy will be merciful. The measure you use, it's going to be used back to you. Jesus says, why why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Now, remember some of these words. Jesus says, "Why, why are you looking at the sawdust, the dust that's in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then, whoa, whoa, Jesus, what are you, what are you doing here? You're turning a corner here. What are you saying? You said, don't judge. Let's just stop there. Let's end there. Let's shut our Bibles. Let's be done. No, you're, you're turning a corner here, Jesus. It sounds like you're saying something else now. And then you will see clearly to do what? To remove the speck 
from your brother's eye. So you mean Jesus isn't just saying, like, just don't judge? No, he's not. He's actually talking about the way to do it. It's almost like it's instructions. It's like a how-to on how to judge appropriately, on how to do it with the right heart, the right intentions, the right motivations, and for the best outcome. And what's interesting here is that Jesus, the carpenter, uses some words here that would be indicative of the trade that he was in. He used an illustration to help explain. Many people would understand this. To help explain what's happening here and the heart of God here. He uses a word, the the speck of sawdust. And this word translated from the original language means in our language, something that's annoying or bothersome. It's something that frustrates you. It's not even, it's not even like, we're not even talking about sin yet. Jesus is saying, why do you look at your brother and talk with them or judge them, look down on them, criticize them for something in their life that's just annoying, that's just frustrating to you, that's bothersome to you? When you've got a plank, Jesus says, in your own eye, and this would be a foundational beam to a home or to a building. Why why are you looking at the sawdust, the thing that just annoys you in your brother's eye and criticizing them over it? and not addressing or dealing with the foundational sin and brokenness that's in your own life. Jesus would say that's hypocritical. And so here's the first thing we learn about judging in a right way, in an appropriate way with the best outcome. Jesus would say it like this, don't judge hypocritically. Don't judge hypocritically. Paul would say this in Romans 2, you who judge others, Don't you realize you do the exact same things? You you who who, who are judging people, looking down on people, criticizing people, condemning people to their absolute faith. Don't you realize you do the exact same things? Paul would say it like this and others. It's not just you. It's me. And it's we. It's not about you. And even right now, like I'll just be real with you in this moment. Like is this today, right now, isn't just about you. It's about me and it's about we. I need this. I need today. I, I need God's word. And as I prepare this, this is about me and we, because I'm just as sinful as anyone else in this room. I'm just as broken and messed up as anyone in this room. This is not just about you. I'm not here telling you things. I'm here saying this to me and to we, because I do the same things. There's nothing special about me. This isn't just about you. You see, here's what we tend to do. We tend to accuse others and excuse ourselves. And Jesus says, that's, that's hypocritical. You can't accuse other people and then excuse away everything and make an excuse for everything in your life and, and belittle all the problems and brokenness in your own life. Like you can't make much of someone else's sin and make little of your own. That's not the way it works. That's judging hypocritically. And Jesus would tell us here in Matthew 7, don't, don't judge Hypocritically. So that's the immediate context. Now let's go to a little bit broader context. Let's look at the rest of Matthew, okay? 
Let's, let's kind of zoom out a little bit from Matthew chapter 7. Now we're looking at the book of Matthew and the chapters leading up to Matthew 7, Jesus has been talking to the religious people about their hypocrisy where they would pray or fast or give in front of others to impress people, to put on an outward show. And so Jesus would say, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't give, don't. Don't worship, don't fast or pray, don't do any of that for some sort of outward show to impress other people. No, God's looking at your hearts. God's concerned with your heart. Then in Matthew chapter seven, if you keep reading, Jesus would begin to talk about recognizing false teachers. And like discerning whether or not something someone is saying is true or not. Like you got to recognize false teachers, Jesus would say, and, and it's by their fruit that you will recognize them, Jesus would say. So, what, so, so Jesus, you're telling me, you're, you're saying, I've got to make a judgment about whether or not someone's teaching is true or, or false. Like I've got to discern whether or not I'm, I'm listening to or reading from a, a false teacher. And Jesus would obviously say, yes. You've got to make a judgment there. Another word for it that we use is called discernment. We've got to discern whether, what, whether or not what we're hearing and what we're reading lines up with God's word. You see, here's the thing. You, you've got to, even right now in this moment, you, you've got to take every word I say and put it through the filter of scripture. I, I'm broken. I'm messed up. I'm going to say things that are wrong. I'll promise you right now because I'm human, because I'm broken, because I'm fallen. And so you've got to take every word that I say and you've got to put it through the filter of scripture. In Acts chapter 17, we learn about this group called the Bereans. And it says that they would examine the scriptures daily to see if whether or not what Paul was saying was true. Paul? Like, I've got to examine and see whether or not what, what Paul's saying is true. I, that's what they were doing. They were examining the scripture and they were putting it up against what Paul was saying. And they were looking and saying, is what Paul's saying is true? Or not? It's not whether God's word is true or that God's word's true. It's about whether what Paul is saying is true or not. You see, you've got to take everything that you hear me say or people like me, every book that you, and you've got to put it through the filter of scripture to see whether or not it's true or false. You've got to make a judgment based on your knowledge of scripture. It's why you've got to read the Bible more than you read any other book. You need to be very careful if all you're doing is reading Christian books about the Bible and you're not reading the Bible. That's why our app devotionals are based on reading through the scripture. It's to help you read the scripture so that you can get that into you so that you have the filter by which to judge a false teacher or a false author. There is no author and there is no pastor whose word is authoritative over and above scripture. They don't exist. God's word is our authority. It is what we use to filter everything that we hear and read. And can I just say this to you real quick, just as a word of warning when it comes to Christian books. As I've been approached by people, two or three people over the past five years or so, about taking some of my series and turning them into books, I learned something in the process that there's this thing called ghostwriting where people will approach pastors and basically say, we'll write a book for you and put your name on it and you can sell it. And it's happening 
every day. Many of the well-known pastors and authors and books that you have read have been ghostwritten, which means they were not written by that person that's on the cover. That's dangerous. That's real dangerous. Some of the most popular books that you know, some of the most famous pastors that every one of us have heard from and every one of us know, their books, a lot of them have been ghostwritten. And so you need to be very careful. I'm just telling you what I've learned over the past few years about this process. You need to be very careful about Christian books today. It's rare that someone has written every word in the books that you read today. It's why I'm very leery to do series based on books. We've done that some, but when we do, we take the scripture and we teach from the scripture and then we use what a book says to help us understand it. Sometimes an author, a commentary or what have you will help you understand what the scripture is saying, but it doesn't ever need to be your source material. It can be a supplement, but it doesn't need to be a part of your regular Christian life. You need to be reading the scripture. You need to be reading the Bible. And then you'll know whether or not I'm speaking the truth or that author that you love is speaking the truth. But Jesus said, we got, we got to make a judgment when it comes to teaching. So, so we've got to make judgments. It's not always wrong to judge. The third context that we said, now we got to look at the whole of scripture. So let's look at what other verses and what the rest of scripture tell us about making a right judgment. John chapter seven, Jesus says this, don't judge by appearance, make a righteous judgment, Jesus would say. In other words, there's a kind of judgment that is good and right and healthy. Don't make a judgment just based on appearance, but make a righteous judgment. You could say it like this, don't judge superficially. Don't judge superficially. Just based upon the way things look on the outside, God is looking at your heart. He looks past all the outward show and all the outward religious stuff and all the, out, he looks past all of that and he's worried about your heart. He's concerned about your hearts. God is judging the heart. And so you and I as followers of Jesus should look past the outward way things appear and we should make a right judgment based on someone's heart, which is hard to do. Because as finite men, we don't know someone's heart, which is why we must be very careful when we make a judgment. We must be slow to make that judgment because oftentimes our judgments are based on outward appearance and the way things look, the way things appear. When I was in elementary school, I grew up going to a private Christian school, Trinity Christian School here in town. I grew up there. When I was in sixth grade, my parents took me out of Trinity and put me in public school. Now, to some friends and people we went to school with and people we went to church with that, that knew that we made that shift, they began to be concerned about me because I left a Christian school and went to a public school. And one thing led to the next, and finally we found out there was a rumor going around that because I left public, private school and went to public school, there was a rumor going around that I was getting in fights with scissors and knives and I was stabbing people. Now that only happened two or three times, but I'm just kidding. That didn't happen. But we found out this is what was happening. It was all based on the outward appearance of me leaving a private Christian school and going to a public school. That rumor got started. It was like they assumed based on the outward sign that I was leaving Christ. 
They made an assumption based on the outward sign, the outward show. And so as followers of Jesus, we should always assume the best about someone's heart. We should be very slow to judge someone's heart. We should assume the best about someone's heart and intentions until we see or find out or they confess otherwise. We should assume the best about someone's hearts. In Galatians chapter six, Paul says this, if anyone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore them with a spirit of gentleness. So next, the Bible teaches us that we should not judge harshly. We should not judge harshly. Galatians 6 teaches us that our heart should always be to restore someone, to bring them back into the fold. And we should always approach someone with a spirit of gentleness. In fact, Paul would say in Galatians 6, if you keep reading, he would say, when you do this, you've got to watch yourself the whole time lest you become prideful and arrogant and think too highly of yourself. So when you're approaching someone, when you are making a judgment, you need to do it with the spirit of gentleness, watching your own self, your own heart, the whole time. John said about Jesus in John chapter one, that Jesus was full of grace and truth. He's full of grace and truth. Completely, just like he's fully God and fully man, Jesus was fully grace and fully truth. And so when we approach people with truth, we must do that with grace. There must be grace and truth in any conversation that we're having. Paul would say it like this. We all grow up spiritually. We all mature in Christ as we share the truth in love. And so we are to not judge harshly. We are to do it with grace and truth. We are to share the truth in love. Next, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter five, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Aren't we to judge those inside? So here's what Paul's saying. Don't judge outside the family. We aren't to judge those outside the family of God. If you go back to Matthew chapter seven, when Jesus was talking about not judging, he said this, then you can help your brother remove the speck of sawdust in their eye. In other words, this, this judgment, this confrontation, these conversations are to happen in community with other followers of Jesus. Like it's people that you're close to. It's someone that would be like a, a brother or a sister to you. That's the kind of relationship and connection where these kinds of conversations would happen, where a confrontation about someone's sin in their life, the sawdust that's in their eye, that's where this kind of conversation would happen in that close knit community, family of believers. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus would say, if a brother sins against you, you're supposed to go to them. If a brother like someone in the family of God sins against you. You're supposed to go to them and reconcile the situation. In James chapter five, the brother of Jesus, James says this, whoever brings someone who wanders away, so they've wandered away from the family, they've wandered away from the faith. Whoever brings someone who wanders away back and turns them from the error of their way will save that person from death and from many sins. 
And so James says that when a brother or sister in Christ is wandering away from the faith, wandering away from the family of God, that we should try to bring them back into the family, that our heart, again, should be to restore that person back into fellowship with the family of God and in fellowship with their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so judgment is just for the family. Paul would say, it's not our business to judge those outside, but it is our business as the family of God. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is par for the course. We are to judge, Paul would say, those inside the church. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you should be in close community and close enough community and relationship with other followers of Jesus, where you have invited this into your life. That's just, that's what's true when you read the scripture. If that's not true in your life, then you've got a problem. You're not connected enough to the body of Christ. You need to get more connected. You got to get deeper. You can't just be a consumer and watch. You got got to get involved. You got to get connected. You need to be in a small group where you're growing together with other followers of Jesus. Because this is par for the course if you're a follower of Jesus. The follower of Jesus can say, don't judge me. Stop judging me. No, 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 no. The follower of Jesus recognizes that judgment is for those inside the church. So if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, you should expect this. There should be people in your life that you're close enough to that are followers of Jesus, that love you enough to approach you when you're wandering away. That should be trying to bring you back. And so we do not hold non-Christians to Christian standards because judgment is for those inside the family of God, not for those outside. We don't hold non-Christians to Christian standards. And you might be thinking, wait a second. So then how do we get them to do and act like us? Because isn't that the goal? Like as Christians, we're good people, right? And so aren't we supposed to help the bad people become good people? Like, aren't we supposed to tell them what to do? And aren't we supposed to tell them all the wrong things in their life and tell them all the right things they need to start doing? Like, isn't that what, isn't that what Christianity is? Isn't that what, what church is? Well, we've got one more step to take. And that's that we're in, to interpret scripture through the life of Jesus. Remember, all the scriptures about him, all the scripture points to him and is about him. So we need to interpret these verses, Matthew 7, 1, through the life and ministry of Jesus. How did Jesus do this? How did this flesh out in his life? Well, when Jesus called Matthew to follow him, Matthew was a tax collector. He was literally living in sin and sinning in the moment that Jesus walked up to him. And Jesus did not say, Matthew, here's what you got to do. Listen, you got to do this, this, and this. You got to stop doing this, this, and this. If you know the Bible, you know, that's not what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? Walks up to Matthew, the tax collector in his sin. And he says, Hey, you, uh, Matthew, follow me. In other words, you're going to get to know me. I'm going to get to know you. You're going to see who I am. You're going to see what I'm all about. You're going to hear from me. You're going to get to know me. And so Jesus was known to be friends with sinners, people who were not like him. That's what he, he, I mean, he was known for this. 
And so Jesus invites Matthew to follow. Matthew follows him. And here's what happens next. Matthew brings Jesus over his, to, to his house and basically throws a huge party. And Matthew invites all of his sinner friends. In fact, it says they were known to be disreputable sinners. In other words, these were famous sinners. They, they were famous for being sinners and they're at dinner with Jesus. Jesus took sinners to dinner. That's how he approached people outside the family of God. He took them to dinner. He didn't tell them what to do and what not to do. He said, you follow me and let's go to your house. I'm going to your house for dinner. Jesus took sinners to dinner. And if we're gonna be like Jesus, I think there's two takeaways from the life of Christ as we interpret this scripture through the filter of Jesus's life and ministry. I think there's a couple of takeaways. Number one, it's this, we need a place where you can belong before you believe and belong before you behave. We wanna create a culture and a space here and in everywhere we meet together where you can belong before you believe and you can belong before you behave. We need spaces where people, even in this space and in this place right now, where people can come and they can be a part of us and they can hear and they can study and they can examine and they can even get in a small group and they can even serve and, and, and greet people, you know, whatever it takes. We, we need spaces where people can belong before they ever believe and before they ever behave. And we learn that in the life of Christ. So now you might be thinking, especially if you've grown up in church, but how, how, where does the performance come in? When do they start becoming good people? Like when do their, when does their life change? Right? Because we would all probably hear you meet Jesus, your life's, you know, it's never the same. So, so when is their performance going to change? When are those bad people going to become good people? What, what, what do we do? What's our approach? They're just going to belong here and never believe and, and never behave. That doesn't seem right either. Well, here's our approach. We introduce them to a who and not something to do. You introduce people to a who, not something to do, not something to stop doing, not something to start doing. You introduce people to a who. And here's the gospel right here. You meet a who and it changes what you do. Who before do who always comes before do. You cannot expect someone's life to change unless they've met the right who, and that's Jesus. And when you meet Jesus, your life is never the same. That's the new covenant. Who becomes before do. You meet the right who, and the Bible says, Jesus would say, like, you're born again. You're born again into a new family, the family of God. And you receive the Holy Spirit inside of you. It changes you from the inside out. And it gives you a hatred for sin and a love for holiness. It gives you a love for God's word and a love for prayer and a love for worship and a love to give and serve. And it gives you a love for the body of Christ, his church. Who changes the do every time. But giving somebody something to do or something to stop doing will never change who they are. That's religion. And so it's why we don't hold non-Christians to Christian standards. We shouldn't be telling people or culture all the things they need to stop doing and all the things they need to start doing. Because what I hope you hear from us every week is there's no amount of doing better and trying harder into the kingdom of God. That's not the way it works. That's not the gospel. The gospel's not you do. The gospel 
is he did and it's done. So we introduce people to who? Who, who do we introduce them to? to Jesus? And so you can belong here before you believe and behave because as you belong, you're gonna meet a guy named Jesus. And when you meet Jesus, he changes your life forever. And the do changes as a result. It just automatically changes when you meet the right who. So we introduce people to who, not what they need to do. I think when we look at the life of Jesus, and we look how Jesus approached people and took sinners to dinner, and I think when we look at all of the scripture, everything that we've looked at today, I think what it's telling us is it's not about not judging at all. It's about, as Jesus would say, making a right judgment, doing it in the right way, with the right heart, with the right motivations for the best outcome. And to do that, here's, I think, a a summary and a big idea for everything that we've said. If your heart isn't broken over your own sin, you don't need to be approaching people about theirs. I mean, doesn't that sound like to you a kind of a summary of what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 1 through 3, 1 through 4, right? Uh, Look at the plank in your own eye first. Judge yourself first. Judge your own heart first. Examine your own heart first. Deal with the sin in your life first. Then you'll be able to see clearly to help your brother out. If you're never broken, if your heart isn't broken over your own sin, you shouldn't approach people about theirs. Let me ask you this. When was the last time your heart was broken over your sin? I don't just, I don't mean like, oh, oops, God, sorry. Sorry about that. I mean broken. I mean like Peter broken after he denied Christ and Jesus looked at him and Peter fell to his knees and broke down weeping bitterly over his sin. When was the last time you were broken like that? If it's been a while, might I challenge you that you don't need to be approaching people about sin in their life. When was the last time you were overwhelmed by the mercy of God? If you haven't been overwhelmed by the mercy of God, then you don't need to be approaching people about the sin that's in their life because you're not gonna show the appropriate amount of mercy. You're not gonna show the grace that needs to go with the truth. You're not gonna share the truth in love if you have not been overwhelmed by the mercy of God. You see, to do this right, And to do this to where it helps all of us. I was reading a commentary about Matthew chapter seven and here's what it said. A mark of the discipleship community is the responsibility that disciples have to help each other remove the speck of sin from each other's lives. But it must come from a humble and self-examined life that has removed the plank of self-righteous judgment. Then restoration can occur with the right attitude. After self-criticism takes place, relationships are based on redemptive empathy rather than condemning detachment. If you haven't been broken over your sin, you shouldn't be approaching people about theirs. Jesus 
would say, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. But how can you be merciful? How can you give something that you haven't received? How can you give away mercy if you haven't been overwhelmed and if you're not overflowing with mercy to begin with? So I would invite you this morning to ask yourself this question. When was the last time I was broken over my sin? When was the last time I was overwhelmed by the mercy of God? Would you pray with me? God, we realize that to show mercy, we must have received mercy. And there's a lot of us in here. It's been quite a while since we've been overwhelmed by the mercy of God. In this moment, God, and as we sing and, and as we take the Lord's Supper even here in just a second, God, would you overwhelm our hearts with the mercy of God? And would you break our hearts over our sin? As your word tells us we're to do before we take the Lord's Supper, we're supposed to judge ourselves. We're supposed to examine our hearts and see if there's anything in our hearts that's not in line with your word, that's not in line with your uh, righteousness, that's not in line with who you are, God. We're supposed to examine our, our hearts and our attitudes and our, our motives, our intentions, God. And we're supposed to look and see where, where we don't measure up and confess those things. God, in this moment, would we judge ourselves? Would we judge our own hearts? be broken over our sin, but then be overwhelmed by the mercy of God. It's in your name we pray.